Good evening and welcome back to another edition of Bring Out the Best in Your Children, Your Spouse, and Yourself with me, your host, Rabbi Yisrael Roll. Tonight's program is sponsored by Dr. Abraham Tursky's new website, 12 Steps to Selfesteem.org. That's 12, the number 12, Steps to the number 2, Selfesteem.org, a new website of 12-step programs to develop self-esteem. There's a new teen esteem program, one to build children's self-esteem, and a new seven-week self-esteem diet. One of the ideas on the website is how to build children's self-esteem through a 12-step program. During our evening program, we highlight some of those ideas of how to build up children's self-esteem. One of the ideas on the program is to ask children a shocking question. Tell me, what's going right in your life right now? People often ask the question, what's going wrong? They often tell you what's going wrong. They will say, how are you? Oh, can't complain. You mean you like to complain? Life's about complaining, and yet things are going okay right now, so you just can't complain? Well, no, not exactly. I think things are going okay. Well, then why didn't you say so? You see, we have a natural tendency to look at the negatives. It's our job as parents and educators to bring out the best in our children by asking them, what is working? What's going right? My wife has an idea where she asks the children every night at the supper table, tell me something positive that happened today in school. And this fosters a sense of positivity, warmth, and nurturing around the table where we think positive about life. That's one idea of how we can build children's self-esteem. Tonight's special guest is Rabbi David Goldwasser. He is the spiritual leader of Congregation Kahal Beis Yitzchak in New York. He is a sought-after and renowned speaker and has recently traveled to Bosnia, Serbia, and Croatia to offer encouragement and to inspire those who suffered through the war and who are now trying to rebuild their lives. Rabbi Goldwasser has published several books, including his new book, Comrade, a book about Mesiras Nefesh of a remarkable Jew living in the former Soviet Union. Watch for that in bookstores, the new book called Comrade. He has also written a book called Starting to Live. He provides a comprehensive guide on how to deal with and treat anorexia and bulimia and other eating disorders from a unique standpoint, the spiritual one. Good evening, Rabbi Goldwasser. We're honored to have you on this program tonight. Thank you so much for joining us. Good evening, Rabbi Roll. What a pleasure it is to be once together again. Thank you so much. I know you spoke here in Baltimore on developing children's self-esteem, and it's on tape. It's part of our tape program for the Life Task Force, so we're looking forward to hearing your thoughts tonight. Rabbi Goldwasser, you are a Rav and a well-known speaker, international speaker, as well as an author on different topics in Torah and Judaism and personal growth, and you're also an expert and have written a book on eating disorders. How did it come about that you became developed an expertise in eating disorders? It's an interesting story. Uh, when I was much younger and still in yeshiva, I had gone to visit a patient that I was asked to in Mount Sinai Hospital here in New York. I had talked with the patient. He was a man, I would say, about 27, 28. And there I noticed that he looked extremely weak. He looked faint. He did not lift his head off the pillow. The cover was pulled up to his chin the entire meeting. At one point, he had moved slightly, and the cover went down a little bit past his chest. He went, for the first time I saw his arm, to pull back the cover up to his neck, 
and it looked like a bone with some skin hanging on it. I was shocked. I spoke with him a little bit longer, and afterwards I went out, and I was standing in the hall for a moment. There were two visitors that came, a uh, older couple, and they said to the father of this young man, they said to him, well, tell us, what is it that your son is suffering from? And they said, we don't know. He just won't eat. Little did I know at that time, but it was the first real case of anorexia that I had witnessed. Uh, fast forward about 10 years, and I had started to get people coming into the office asking for an ATSA, advice, some counsel. What do they do about a problem? They are starving themselves. I can't eat. I can't look at food. I'm getting sick. I caused myself to regurgitate. And people started to come in. They need somebody that they can trust, someone they feel will keep it confidential. So, you know what happens? The, the voice goes out, and a lot of people began coming in on it. I made connections uh, here in New York and also uh, around the country with some of the top people in eating disorders. And we worked together uh, to try to come up with some ideas of how we could help particularly those uh, that may be more religious or committed and may have certain particular issues. So I set out to learn uh, a number of years ago, and the doctors were so receptive and so excited that they could team up together with someone you know, in the spiritual field who could be of assistance. There were a lot of wonderful people in the medical profession, and they gave me my medical degree. I understand. What are the symptoms to look for in anorexia? Uh, the symptoms are difficult, uh, Rabbi. The problem is that an anorexic or a bulimic become expert in disguising their behaviors. We could live together in the same house, even sometimes in the same room, and not realize that the person we're living together with is suffering from bulimia or anorexia. Certainly, if we see a person begin to limit their intake, take very small portions, play with food that even that they like. If we see an individual that all of a sudden begins to uh, become cold, even when it's warm, wear a number of sweaters, uh, always try to sit closest to the radiator to the steam. If we see an individual and all of a sudden we notice that their teeth are becoming uh, black or discoloring, if we notice that their face begins to uh, flake, a number of uh, various uh, physical symptoms we could be aware of. The problem is that these physical symptoms can appear in other types of illnesses as well. And never forget the husband that brought his wife to the dentist. The husband kept telling the wife, you know, you really have to brush in the morning. You really do. I mean, you've got stains on your teeth. She was a tea drinker, but this was terrible. Finally, he says, I'm taking you to the dentist. The husband took his wife, went to the dentist. The dentist looks one moment into the examination and says to the woman, are you suffering from an eating disorder? So it, it's possible that a husband may not know that his wife is suffering or a wife may not know that their husband is suffering. We have to be keen because naturally the issues are not all physical. The issues certainly are psychological, metaphysical, People don't just develop an eating disorder overnight. There has to be some history to it.
when one first notices, a parent notices that some of these symptoms are manifest, what is the first thing they should do? Uh, the first thing is if they can start to engage in their uh, in, in dialogue with their child, the first thing they should not do is to begin to question, why aren't you eating? How long haven't you been eating for? Get on the scale. Uh, I don't understand what it is. I make the best food. Because these kinds of comments, unfortunately, while they're well-intentioned, can drive the person suffering an eating disorder to a deeper level than their eating disorder. A parent should try, if they have a good connection, if they have a good dialogue between them, speak about what's happening in their life. Try to get some of the issues to the forefront. Ask them if there's something that may be bothering them or there is something in their daily routine that they may have changed. Uh, very rarely is it going to be solved in the house. The, the person suffering from eating disorder needs to see a professional, a doctor, a therapist, a Rov, a Rebitson, somebody that can help them in order to recognize what they are going through, what they are a part of. Very oftentimes, a person suffering from an eating disorder will not be able to recognize even their own behaviors. If you'll say, well, you didn't eat a thing, and they will say, oh, yes, I did. I had a whole, to them, they ate the whole thing. But in reality, they may have eaten just the smallest, minuscule crumb on the plate. I've been together with an anorexic that didn't realize, took a pea, cut the pea in half, and ate one half of the pea at one time. Is this because a person feels they're fat? Uh, the issues are usually uh, much, uh, much more d deeper than just feeling that they are fat. It can be triggered by a bad uh, body image, self-image, and it's the most incredible thing. Uh, we've had uh, certain uh, people in, uh, have come in for counseling, suffering from an eating disorder, so thin that they, it becomes difficult for them to buy clothes anymore. There is a man that told me one of the most embarrassing things that he has to do is go to the children's shop to buy his own clothing because it just won't fit him. And uh, it, it's, it, it's a very difficult type of a thing when a uh, man or a woman starts to realize that they're going to need a lot of you know, very special attention, although if you will tell them, well, why don't you just look in the mirror? You look terrible. They will take a look in the mirror, and either they will think, wow, finally I'm looking good, or they will say to you, well, uh, I tell you the truth. I may not look so good, but it is impossible for me to do anything about it. And they really don't have the power without therapy, without being involved in uh, different programs to realize even what they are part of. It's a type of a disorder that grabs the hold of a person, puts them in their clutches, and doesn't let go. Someone once asked me, well, how would you compare it to drugs, eating disorder? You know, it's, it's an addiction. So I said, well, i tell you the truth. If I was given the choice between having a person hooked on drugs and having a person that was suffering in the throes of an eating disorder, I'd have to think about that one. Because drug therapy, we have plenty of centers. We have plenty of people that know and there are such wonderful uh, treatment programs. However, with eating disorders, it's secretive. 
even to get the person suffering from an a eating disorder to go into a residence, even a day treatment program, is a battle. It's a fight. A lot of times, the same types of things happen to the body. The breakdown, the heart, the liver, the kidneys, the menses, the entire physical body begins to break down hair loss. Uh, it's, it's a problem of great magnitude. What role does low self-esteem play in leading to a eating disorder? Well, it's interesting you ask. Uh, you, of course, being a master of self-esteem. And uh, I have to tell you, Rabbi Roll, how many times I have used your book, Inner Peace, in talking about self-esteem and self-awareness in groups. Self-esteem has a tremendous role in eating disorders. You could have people that are the top of their class. You could have the highest achievers. You could have an individual that is extremely talented, an individual that is extremely handsome or beautiful or whatever. Yet, because they lack the self-esteem, they seek to fix what is wrong in them, to perfect themselves, to make themselves worthy. And therefore, they will starve themselves to say, I know how I can achieve that perfection. And they begin to uh, limit their intake, and then it progresses to uh, even uh, worse behaviors. The, uh, the idea is that a strong self-esteem will help a person to maintain the, even the body image, which will allow them to eat. But the first thing that usually they take it out on is food. If we get upset, I'm going to go and eat a chocolate cake. If I become frustrated, I'm going to go and eat a whole bag of potato chips. A lot of, that, a lot of the things are food-oriented. We tell the child in school, listen, you do this good, I'm getting you an entire uh, box of cupcakes. If you uh, will just finish your homework right now, you know what I have for you. I've got an ice cream with uh, hot fudge sauce on it. So we start to gear the emotions. These are emotions, these are mental uh, rewards that are translating not just the physical, but also uh, seeping through to the mental uh, framework of a person. And because of that, it is extremely important that we work on developing the, as you call it, the inner peace or the self-esteem in the children from the time that they're youngest. I had a young lady that came in suffering from an eating disorder, and I have to tell you, it was one of the saddest things I think I've heard in recent days. And she was there uh, talking to me, just little snippets of information. And I was trying to get her to talk a little bit. I wanted to try and help her to find out what was going on. As a way of making conversation, I had asked her, are you going out now? In other words, as she began to start to look possibly to get married. When she heard that, she lowered her eyes. Her face turned red. And she said to me, who would ever want to go out with me? Mm. Now that, that unfortunately answered uh, two questions at the same time. The lack of self-esteem was holding her back for many things in life. And now she felt, I'm going to starve myself. I'm going to look better. I'm going to get some of the attention at home maybe that I missed out on. And then, possibly, possibly, it'll be who I should be. And uh, the, the problem is, it used to be, we would say, uh, 
up to 89% female, 11% male. However, in recent years, there's a new term that's been coined. Instead of anorexia, menorexia. It's crossed over to the male population. It's more than doubled the percentage point that it was at a mere seven years ago. So we're seeing now young men, even boys, older men, that are coming in with the same problem that we thought was uniquely female. And this is, uh, this is a phenomenon that has to be dealt with. It is bad enough when we hear about a girl or a young lady or an older woman who has anorexia. That we somehow can accept in society. When there is a male who is supposed to be the keyboard, who's supposed to be the man, and he's got a difficulty with eating, and he begins to lose gross amount of weight, his embarrassment and his secrecy is that much greater because he does not want to be a, uh, what shall I say, in society, he doesn't want to be somebody who is shunned. And uh, many of the uh, men who are suffering from an eating disorder will be even more secretive than the women. They will come in and they'll say, I'll meet, but could we meet like 6 o'clock in the morning or 5.30 in the morning? The ladies sometimes will say, okay, I'll come in, I'll meet uh, 7 in the morning. It's, it's a very a great challenge that we have in today's times because so much has been put on the external, the way that a person looks. And this is, uh, this is extremely difficult. I'm often asked uh, questions of Jewish law, questions of Jewish philosophy. How does the person suffering from an eating disorder reconcile the fact that they may go and uh, try to eat, for instance, one of the uh, meals of mitzvah Friday night for Shabbos, and they know they're not going to eat the required share because they can't force themselves to do it. So what are they? Did they do a mitzvah? Did they not do a mitzvah? Did they commit a sin? Or the other person says that everybody is sitting down. They honor him to bench, to say the grace after meals. But yet he knows that he hasn't had anything in order to say the grace after meals. What should he do? The, the problem is so much more compounded with a person that is observant, uh, someone who is traditional and uh, they're observing the mitzvahs. They've got a lot of conflicts. It comes to be a fast day on Yom Kippur. They can't fast because the doctor told them if you fast, that may be the end. That may be the last Yom Kippur. Chas God forbid. And they're conflicted. Is this been an illness that they self-imposed on themselves? This is not, God forbid, like someone who has a condition that set in that had nothing to do with them. This is something that they did to themselves. Well, the truth is it's not. But still, there is that conflict there. And that's the reason that uh, before this Yom Kippur, I was uh, privileged to compose a prayer, uh, both in Hebrew and in English, for those that are uh, in need of eating on Yom Kippur, that they say this particular prayer before in order to be able to put the entire uh, idea of eating for Hatzalah in order to save ourselves, in order to be able to continue on in life, in order to put that in context with uh, Jewish philosophy, with a proper hashkafa. And it was interesting, I gave it out to just a couple of papers, and in no time I began to get requests from all over. So what happened was we had to put it on uh, the website, and then uh, 
people were able to download it or to read it themselves. But the the needs are so great out there. It's it's uh, something that has doubled and quadrupled. We we're not even aware of all the numbers because of the problem of secrecy, because of those that have not yet been discovered or come forward. Uh, Rabbi Goldwasser, what is the w- website address? The the personal website is Rabbi David goldwasser.com Rabbi David to find some ideas and thoughts Torah thoughts and also thoughts on anorexia and bulimia as well as this prayer this tefillah you've composed for strength in fa- facing this disorder Rabbi Goldwasser it's been asked to me recently since Orthodox Judaism Torah observant Judaism stresses so much around the shulchan around the table in service of Hashem there's it's described as Judaism is not a religion or a faith. It's a menu. Hanukkah coming up, we eat latkes. Purim, we eat humantashim. Pesach, matzah, charoses. Shuas, we eat blintzes. Is there a correlation then, a possible correlation between the emphasis that we in Orthodox Judaism place on food and therefore that might exacerbate the anorexic, the eating disorder situation? It's a very interesting question. I would like to separate uh, custom as it has rolled around today and uh, actual Jewish law and philosophy as was instituted in the times of the Code of Jewish Laws, the Shulchan Aruch. Uh, The truth is that we do have a lot of eating, a lot of uh, symbolic eating around the holidays. Of course, that is the way properly done of elevating and raising the food. An anorexic can understand, I am now going to have on Hanukkah, a latke, because that has deep meaning. I understand the behind the oil. I understand the symbolic need. So therefore, the anorexic will say, this is not just plain eating, but it's holy eating. The same thing would uh, be on any of the holidays, shvus with blintzes, purim, hamantashen. The problem is we've taken it out of hand. We've gone and we say, okay, instead of there be one type of blintzes, let's make 20. Instead of having one dessert, let's have 15. And, you know, I don't have to tell you what's going on at the weddings today with the Viennese tables. Now, it's interesting because Rav Gifter, as Echet Tzadik Levracha, the great Rosh Hashiva of Tells, had once told me that these long titian that we have now, the long meals, Friday night, he said he'd never heard of that in Europe. In Europe, they would come home, they would eat their meal, half an hour, 35 minutes, sing a few of the smiras. After they were done with the smiras, they would say the Torah, and that would be end of the meal. They would go to study during the night. He says this idea of making the long sudas with each course in itself being an entire meal, I don't know where it came from. So I think that it's not actually how we look at the, uh, the Jewish idea in eating or the Torah idea in eating, but rather it's something that we are a people, it's a post-Holocaust generation. We certainly did our share of starving in the world. And now, Baruch Hashem, most are able to eat and have all that they need. And therefore, we want to celebrate in the way that we have of celebrating is uh, by utilizing the food. However, the truth is, it has bred a lot of a uh, waste, baltashchis, which is an extremely important uh, prohibition in mitzvah in the Torah. And I would say that 
you know, we need to try to uh, we need to try to balance out where the eating idea has gone. It's not all about food, and the meals on Yom Tov can be delicious; they can be plentiful. But a person doesn't have to say at the end of the meal, "I can't move." I'm going to have to, uh, after this meal, uh, walk around the block a thousand times. I, I can't stuff myself even one more uh, morsel. I, I think we have to get away from that idea because it's not particularly a Torah idea. It does say in the Rambam that the uh, great amount of illnesses come about through overeating. And uh, there are many places in the Talmud that we read about what is preferred eating, how a person should uh, systemize their eating, what to eat, what types of food, and how to. And certainly there was never the idea of eating so much as we have it today. Every home should have great hachava, and they should have plenty and bountiful blessings. But we have to be careful about how much food we pile onto the table. Most of us are like children. Tell a child that he already had four candy bars and he can't have a fifth. And I'll ask you, why? And I say to you, tell an adult, you can't have a fifth. He'll also ask you why. Uh, one of the things that we don't realize, I think, is on the other end of the coin, you know, most of the, the uh, people when I'm talking in a general audience will come and say, you know, I wish I had that problem. I got the opposite problem. I have to uh, learn how not to eat so much. It's hard for us to understand on you know, one end of the spectrum would exist on the other end. There was a a young man, and I never forget it. He had uh, the family had brought me uh, to a location that was out of town in order to meet. They wanted it to be very secret, a very well known family. And I uh, sat together with a young man for oh, about six hours or so. And then it came time for him to eat. He's anorexic, and his meals were measured, and he had certain things that he had to eat. Now, the first thing that we have to learn is you never watch a person eat. You never comment on their eating. You just got to leave them be. So I saw that they were preparing his meal, and I said to him, uh, we'll just say his name is uh, Moshe. I said, Moshe, I'm going to the room, and when you're finished, we can, uh, we can finish up, and I'll say goodbye. So Moshe says, no, I would like you to stay. I would like you to stay. It would give me encouragement. So I stayed one of the few times while he was eating his meal. He had a crumb. It was part of a cracker that is about the size.